to the Oasis Church podcast. Thanks for joining us. Today's Bible reading is taken from Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30, and verses 2 to 11 from the New Living Translation version. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God evaluated him to the place of highest honour and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Good morning, Oasis. Great to be together again. What a great morning so far, and thank you, Mel, for reading that so beautifully over us. Today, we are picking up again our series exploring the book of Philippians, uh, which is a book written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Philippi, which was a small Roman colony uh, in modern-day Greece. And it's written as Paul sits in jail, awaiting sentencing for the crime uh, of declaring the good news about who Jesus is. And as he sits there waiting this judgment that's hanging over him, there's a very real possibility that he's going to be executed at the end of it. And if it was me, I have to be honest, and I was writing a letter in that context to some people, uh, it might be a little bit gloomy. Uh, It would probably kind of dwell on that imminent judgment hanging over me. And yet, what we found every week is that Philippians is a letter that just overflows with joy because Paul ultimately has gotten hold of the truth that Jesus is 
enough. That's what we're unpacking together in this series. The good news that Jesus is enough, full stop. It's not Jesus and anything, not Jesus and status, or Jesus and money, or Jesus and health. For Paul, it's not even Jesus and life, as Alice was looking at a couple of weeks ago. He is enough, full stop. And today we're going to explore what it looks like for God to build a new community, a community of people who center themselves around Jesus and live together with the mindset that he is enough, full stop what it looks like for that to work out in practice amongst a group of people. Because we know instinctively, don't we, the kind of characteristics of a community that we want to be part of as people. A community that, uh, if I was to ask you and say, do a kind of poll and say, what kind of characteristics would you want from a community that you'd be part of? We might get some answers back that would be kind of like love, a community of love, a community of joy, a community of hope, a community where I feel known by others, a community of creativity, a community uh, of rest, a community of justice and peace, a community that feels a bit like home in its very best expression. And that's the kind of community that we believe that God is calling us to build together. And that's what Paul is unpacking a little bit in this passage our very nature calls out to us that we want to be part of that kind of community. And as Mel read out for us, this section is all about how God is creating through the church a whole new type of community. A community that's founded on a whole new way of being human that Jesus has inaugurated. And the foundation of this community is not incidental to God's plan to reveal to all of creation the good news about Jesus. It's not that uh, there is the gospel and, you know, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and the church kind of is a little bit of a side uh, plot to that. No, the church is the very essence of what God is wanting the world to get hold of, that Jesus is going to change everything for everyone, and that he's creating a new humanity and a new community to do it. That as we, as the church, pursue unity, God is revealed to the world. That's one of the main ways in which he does it. That's why we find Jesus in John chapter 17 on the night before his death. He gets down on his knees and he prays for the church because he knows that in the eyes of the world, The good news about who he is is either confirmed and so it's immeasurably enhanced or it's contradicted and so it's immeasurably weakened by the quality of the relationships between those who believe in him. How we speak about the church, how we treat the church, how we seek to love the church, even in all its mess and its brokenness, even with all its flaws, that's how we treat and how we speak about and how we seek to love Jesus. That's what Paul uh, understands when he has this amazing encounter with Jesus uh, on the road. Jesus comes to him and says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And that just flows out of all of his letters, this deep understanding that what he does to the church is what he's doing to Jesus because the two are deeply connected. 
And this is why Paul comes to this understanding that what Jesus prays is truth, that how the world sees the church is part of how they will understand who Jesus is. If those looking in measure the strength and integrity of the community as lacking, ultimately it doesn't matter what we say about Jesus, it's going to pass them by. The value of our unity, therefore, is nothing less than the means by which the world will know that God loves them, that God is for them, that God wants their best. That's the kind of unity that we are to pursue. And it is a pursuit. Paul's encouragement to the Philippians in this passage, I'd encourage you, if you have a Bible with you, um, get it up, kind of look through it again, read that section uh, from chapters one and two together. Paul's encouraging the Philippians to pursue the building of a community like this, a community that reveals a whole new and different way of being human that is modeled on Jesus. The supernatural unity of everyone who has centered their life on Jesus, that as we are united to him, we are also by faith at the same time united to all those who are in him at the deepest and truest level. That truth gets worked out in the practical nitty-gritty of daily life together. It's not something that kind of just happens. It's something that needs nurturing and tending like a garden. Now, I'm not much of a gardener, to be honest. Uh, in fact, uh, up on the screen is going to come a picture, and this is about the limits of my skill, um, in which uh, at age very young, I can identify what a plant is and where it is. And I have to be honest, it's not, it's not gotten a lot better since then. Um, but at least you can see where uh, my son Zach gets his cuteness from, of course, and also his excellent fashion sense in dungarees. That's all in there. Um, but gardens, and in a garden, and my garden in particular, would be evidence of this. In a garden, things grow, um, but if it's not always being consciously tended, that growth isn't always healthy, is it? It usually means too much of one thing, too little of another, some things kind of running rampant and being dominant, others being squeezed out because there's not enough space or room for them to grow. You can have a community which seems to be growing and flourishing and exploding, where good things are happening, where breakthroughs are happening, where lives are being transformed, where others are being drawn in. But to pursue the kind of unity that Paul talks about, you need to tend that garden. You need to tend that growth like a master gardener. And the way that we tend to and pursue this unity is summed up in the central verse of this passage, verse 5 of chapter 2. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And literally that verse says, let the mind that was in Christ be in you. In other words, let the very mindset by which Jesus approached his life grow and flourish in you and let it reshape your thinking. Let it change your mind. See, from Paul's perspective, two worlds are intersecting. There's the revolutionary new creation inaugurated as Jesus walks out of the tomb, intersecting with the broken dying world that's passing away and one day will be made completely new. 
And that as these two worlds intersect, things are going to happen, which are not always good, but which always will reveal the wonder of who Jesus is and what he's seeking to do in the new world that he's making. See, the markers of the rulers of the old world, Paul writes, is that they lead with forceful power. That how they act and how they lead towards one another is that they dominate the space, bullying and cajoling and dividing, pressing their will on others. They rely on their charisma, their position, their wealth, their privilege to sustain their authority. That was true in the great centers of the ancient world at the time in Rome and Babylon and Jerusalem and Athens. The emperors in their palaces Seemingly, this is what is in Paul's mind as he writes, the emperor there claiming a divine authority to justify his control. It's true in many places around the world today. Sadly, it's been true in the church across our history. In that kind of a world, how do you get power and keep it? Well, you divide people against one another. You try to discredit what is true in order to present yourself as the alternative only form of truth. You leverage your position so it's impossible for your followers to think of a world without you in it. But Paul writes, that's that's the way of a world that is dying, that's destined for destruction. This new humanity in a new community is pointing to a world that is to be born defined by a reshaped thinking that results in living and acting and leading in a different way. That where the old world says, push yourself up, exaggerate your achievements, minimize your weaknesses. The new world is one where, as Jesus says, anyone who wants to be great must make themselves a servant. Anyone who wants to be first must put themselves last. I don't know if you've ever written a CV for a job application. Uh, You'll know that what the world is looking for uh, is an unblemished record of success, a catalogue of skills and experience and capability that sets you head and shoulders above anyone else. And if that CV does its job, and if it gets you through to an interview, you're more likely than not to be asked uh, the question, which kind of everyone dreads a bit, Uh, which is this, can you tell me a little bit about a weakness that you have? When you get asked that question in a job interview, you know that what they're really asking you for uh, is kind of a trick. They're asking you to describe a weakness that you have that's actually a strength. In reality, it's, I just care too much about my job, you know. I just can't leave a project unfinished, you know. I just have to kind of keep working and working until it's done. That's the way of the world. That's what the world is looking for. Present yourself as the best, as the pinnacle, as the top. What does Paul say? Reshape your thinking. Reshape your thinking. That's the old way. Let me tell you about the new way, the way that Jesus inaugurated, the very mindset by which he approached the world. In fact, we're going to look in a few weeks' time at the start of chapter 3, at Paul's CV. He says, I could come up with the best CV that you could possibly imagine. But you know what? Now, I count it all 
as rubbish because of the value of knowing Christ. But you know what's even better than that? You want to see Jesus's CV. This is Jesus's CV. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Jesus' CV. The most powerful expression of the old world at that time in history, the Roman Empire, does its absolute worst to Jesus. Execution on a cross is the most painful, the most humiliating, the most degrading way to kill someone that the human race has ever come up with. It's a method designed to scorch the very name of the individual being crucified out of existence, to blot them out of history completely. And yet, in the most mysterious and unlikely twist, Jesus laying down his life on the cross turns out to be the most perfect expression of what God was always like, of what always characterized his identity. These verses in Philippians tell us that it's not that Jesus goes to the cross in spite of being God. No, it was his very nature to give up any of the trappings of power that the rulers of the world cling to, to take the lowest position, to pour himself out on behalf of others. And it's by this that he's exalted to the highest place, given the highest name. That what the world tried to use to blot his name out of history is the very means by which God uses it to exalt his name beyond anything else. What was meant as an act of the most unspeakable evil has become an example of the most unexplainable love. You want to know what God is like? Maybe you're here this morning. You wouldn't say that you're a follower of Jesus. You're wondering, who is God? What is God like? Look at the cross. This is what God is like. This is God giving himself for you that you might know that he is enough, full stop. And as we spend time taking these verses in and letting them, by the power of the Holy Spirit, work in our life, they will reshape our thinking. I encourage you this week, spend some time just thinking about these verses, pondering them, meditating on them, maybe write them out, Maybe try and memorize them. Let them reshape the way that you think about everything, about who God is, about who you are, about how you're to live, 
but how you're to relate to others. That was Paul's encouragement to the Philippians in first century Greece. It is his encouragement to us today in 21st century Birmingham. Live in the light of this God who is enough. See, this new community, this new humanity, this new world that God is making is built on what Jesus has done and it's modeled on how he has done it. See, because Jesus is like this, we give ourselves to the outworking of that by living wholeheartedly in the community that he describes in the passage, to pursuing unity by keeping Jesus at the center, by loving well, by resisting intimidation, by standing alongside one another in our suffering, by softening our hearts when we disagree, by taking an interest in others, by serving wholeheartedly. It doesn't mean that we say to God, thanks very much for what you've done. We'll take it from here. We'll build this community in our strength. No, it's continually recognizing it's only because God's heart towards us is so open that our hearts can be open towards others in response. That's the work of the Spirit amongst us. And you know, it needs all of us needs all of us. The prism of your life will scatter colors and tones and textures that I never could. You will think of ways to love and serve others that I never would because I'm not you and you're not me and that's good news for all of us. It's God's grace that binds us together, that draws in all people, that breaks down all divisions, that fits all situations that covers all wrongs. Grace means that whatever your story as you sit here today, as you watch online or as you catch up later, grace means that the highs and the lows, the successes and the triumphs, the sufferings and the heartbreak, God meets you in them. He meets you where you are. He's working in your situation and his word to you is welcome. Come on in. Come and be part of this new community. Come and be part of this new humanity, this new world that I'm making. Come and know that Jesus is enough. Full stop. Wonder, Rod, if you and the band could maybe come back up again. I just think it'd be wonderful just to finish by singing a last song together. It's such a beautiful time of worship earlier, amazingly declaring the name of Jesus, which is exalted in the passage that we've read and looked at together. My encouragement as we worship is to just approach this Jesus again. We're just going to come and give ourselves just for a few more minutes to come in with hearts that are open and that say, Lord, would you come and work in my life? God, would you come and help me to see that you are enough, full stop. God, would you strip away all of the ands that I've been living with? And let me not just know you. I wonder if you're able to stand. Why don't we stand together?
once again. We thank you for the wonder and the beauty of who you are. We say that if you, who are God, have made yourself low in order to be with us and serve us and love us and give yourself for us, God, we want to come in response with humility. God, we want to worship who you are. Thank you so much that you are this kind of a God, that you are not like the rulers of the world. That is in your very nature to give yourself for us. And so, Lord, we receive again. We lift our eyes to the name that is exalted above every name. And we bow our hearts in adoration and praise and pray that you would move among us again. Amen.